How many know that Tim Tebow is kind of like the talk of the country right now? I mean, is there anybody, and be honest, and is there anybody in here who hasn't heard of him even before that video? Is there anyone in here who has not heard of Tim Tebow? Not a soul. Wow. Well, what's interesting is, what I find fascinating about this whole thing is that he not only is the talk of the country, he's created an incredible dialogue about faith in America. And interesting, you saw the, the Fox News reporter. And when you mention him, I hear the words, I heard it this morning, polarizing figure. You hear all kinds of messages about him. What's interesting, though, is it's not just the, the, the media, it's not just the, uh, it's not just the, the media and the players. It's, it's, it's literally everybody has an opinion. And what's interesting is even Christians have an opinion about Tim Tebow. And here's what I found fascinating, and I won't mention any names, but some of them are outspoken Christians have criticized Tebow for saying and talking about his faith the way he does. And I found it fascinating because I think it creates a dialogue. I was in Cellcom the other day. I was thinking about changing my uh, plan, and I'm, I'm talking to this lady with my brother-in-law. We were talking about switching plans. I wound up not switching plans, but I mentioned Tim Tebow, and I was talking about Skip Bayless, who was the guy that was the guy who says he's a gamer, you know. Uh, and he has a really bad take on Aaron Rodgers, okay? He, 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 he doesn't think Aaron Rodgers has much skills. I politely disagree, you know. So, uh, but I do agree with him on Tebow. Uh, but here's the, here's the thing. We got into this discussion, and I said, doesn't that put pressure on what you believe? And she's Catholic, and we got to talking about, you know, faith and this and that, and you know, by the end of the conversation, I had her coming around my side. But what I found with even Christians is Tim Tebow makes people uncomfortable. And, and part of the message, I didn't even know I was going to go this way. And then after watching last week for like the fourth time out of the fifth game, the dude is like mortal for three quarters. And in the fourth quarter, he turns into Superman and somehow wins. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, I'm just, it, I mean you, it's just, I've never seen anything like it. I covered sports for 15 years, and, and I never saw anything like that. And what all of them say, even the, the guys that are real critical of him, they'll look back there and they'll say, uh, you know, he's, even his critics, they realize there's something on that boy. There's something on, there's something about him. And I thought, you know, this, this actually opens, it's a perfect way to open up the message this week on unwrapping your gift. Tim Tebow has a gift, and he's unwrapping it. He's unwrapping it for Jesus. And so what I want to talk to you about is some of the responses. I, I thought this is a great way to talk about in the Christmas season. We've talked about unwrapping who Jesus is, his grace, his character. We did that at the first of the series. And, and what grace is, it's divine influence on your heart. Unmerited favor is a part of that. But really, it's grace is, is a face. Grace is Jesus. And so uh, we talked about that in week one. Then we talked about in week two his promises, that God has specific promises for each of us that we can stand on. And, and when the pressure's on, we quote that scripture and we stand on his promises. And then this week, I want to unwrap our gift. And uh, as I look back at the Christmas narrative, there's a great example in Matthew chapter 2. So if you turn your Bibles, you can also follow along. Matthew 2, verse 1. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. Just a little background, the magi or the wise men, they were pagan nobles. 
from other lands. They were not God's covenant people. It is it's a fascinating study. I don't have time to get into it, but as you follow their ancestry, most biblical scholars believe they did have some of their roots in in the Hebrew culture. But as uh, over time, they, things got separated in the Jewish people. So there was some roots there. They, there's something that compelled them to go and follow that star. Uh, so they were, they were open, they were willing, they were seekers. So I'll just give you a little background on the Magi. Now, verse 3. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. King Herod, of course, was the king of the Jews at that time. He was the ruler. He was actually under Roman rule at the time. He was kind of uh, the keeper of the peace, really. His power was limited, but he was bloodthirsty to keep it, okay? So that's King Herod. Verse 4, he called a meeting of the lead priests and teachers of the law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? What's interesting is, you notice he knows the word Messiah. He, he doesn't know a lot of the prophecies, but he does know his job description. Every kid growing up in that Hebrew culture knew one day there would be a ruler that would come and lead the people back into ruling and reigning over the earth. They all know about the Messiah. They were looking for a political ruler to overthrow the established order. What they didn't know, who was Jesus' real identity, which is the Savior of the world. So here is Herod, and he says, In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, For this is what the prophet wrote, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people in Israel. So Bethlehem is where the, the birth is. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. Yeah, right. He was jealous and he wanted to kill him. Uh, Scholars actually believe the Magi, I I grew up thinking they always showed up at the time of the manger scene, but most scholars believe it was about a two-year journey for the wise men to actually get into the place that he actually, they actually saw Messiah was actually in a place that was not the manger. So just a... That one was free. Verse 9, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Notice it doesn't say worshipped them. Didn't worship Mary. We'll let that... Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So uh, I read that story. That's our opening text. And what I want to show to you today is three responses, three responses to the birth of Messiah. Uh, I want to start first with King Herod. How many of you understand that the world that we live in is antagonistic to Jesus? Not only, not only is it and, I, and I've said this many times, you can say God in public, you can say Lord in public, you can say Christ in public, but Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's his job description. It is his, he is the anointed one. Messiah means the Savior. It was his job description. Christ is not his last name. But when you say Jesus, have you experienced this when you said this in public? You know, when you say Jesus is my Lord, there is a profound, people will tolerate God. But there's an antagonistic view when you say, when Tim Tebow gives up and says, Jesus Christ, my, just watch, we're seeing it unfold before our eyes. 
And what I want you to see is that just like Tim Tebow, you may not have the, the, the skills to do what he does uh, as he does it in his workplace, but you've got a certain set of skills in your workplace, in your job, in your environment, and around people you know that you can be of great influence. How many believe that? It's called bringing your best to Jesus. The Magi, think about it, traveled two years to come and follow a Savior they didn't know and probably didn't even know why, and they brought their absolute best. They brought their time. They brought their talents, I'm sure, along the way, and they certainly brought their treasures. Frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Now, a lot of people say, well, there was three wise men because there was three gifts. We really don't know. It could have been a number of wise men. But what we do know is that they brought their best. And the interesting part about frankincense, gold, and myrrh is that frankincense was used in the Hebrew culture as a part of the priestly offerings. So uh, myrrh is, is symbolic of burial, and gold is fit for a king. And so when you follow that all the way through the symbolism, from birth to death, Jesus was born to die. He came as God incarnate in the flesh, inserting himself in time so that as he came to earth, eventually he was born to die on a cross to rescue us from our sins. And what's interesting, as you follow these responses, we see the Magi giving their best, getting, getting, giving everything they have to the king. That, that, by the way, was providential because Joseph and Mary then have to go to Egypt because Herod is Herod trying to kill all these kids. They take that very expensive frankincense, gold, and myrrh, and they go to Egypt. And I'm sure that was provision for Joseph as he was looking for a job. They had to stay there a while. So the way God works in the divine order, even with a guy like Herod who uh, is breathing murderous threats, God can work it for your good. I want to say to you today that just like him in that situation, you may be on your way to Egypt looking for something. You may, you may have to get out from a, a situation that God is calling you out of. And, 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 you, and you don't know what's going to happen, but God will bring provision for your journey. So the one response I want to start off with is Herod. Herod is the epitome of a self-ruled life. Delusional, thinking he has it all in control. He really doesn't have much power. And he wants to obliterate any threat. It is a self-ruled life. And then you have the second response. And this is the one that I think the church is at today. And that is symbolic of the religious establishment at the time of Herod. I want to take you back to that first part where we read about the, the wise men meeting the scholars, the religious teachers, uh, what we would call the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. If you notice when they met Herod, do we see any sign of them hearing the word that the Messiah is here, we see nothing about them getting excited. We see nothing about them following the Magi. Now think about this, folks. If you're a priest in that day, you've spent your whole life studying the prophecies, thinking about Messiah, dreaming about Messiah under heavy Roman rule. Oh, yeah, by the way, uh, Messiah is, uh, we're going to go see the Messiah. Oh, that's great. The apathy. Here, here was these pagan guys saying, yeah, we followed a star for two years. Herod's clearly, clearly concerned. And we'll just hang out here and keep doing our thing. We're going to keep doing our religious thing. And they completely missed the birth. They completely missed the Messiah. 
And what's interesting, if you follow the New Testament, all throughout the New Testament, it was the religious order of the day that missed Christ, that missed Jesus. But it was uh, the people who opened their hearts to who Messiah was and his true nature, which is to be the savior of the world and the forgiver of our sins. That's what they missed. And I look at that as symbolic for each of us. Here's the, here's the reality. If Jesus isn't central and isn't first and isn't best in your life, there are going to be aspects in your life where you will be like Herod. Antagonistic to some of the things of God. I can remember I had a head full of Jesus and a belly full of booze for years. I grew up a Baptist preacher's kid, pastor's kid. For 14 years, things were good. Folks get divorced, world implodes. Oh, what do I do? Suddenly, that Jesus story didn't take on such significance. Suddenly, I'm raging. Suddenly, I don't believe anymore. To the point where I was almost, when I would hear someone bring up the name Jesus, I would find ways to destroy, like Herod, their argument. The thing I couldn't overcome was the peace that they had for the ones that really knew him. I didn't have that peace. And I was jealous of it. But I liked ruling my own life. And so like Herod, I made sure that I was self-governed. And then as, as, as I became a Christian, as uh, some of you know my story, uh, by 2001, I gave my life back to God and I was all in. And then I began to see that there were people around me that weren't all in. I began to see, well, why wouldn't you be? I mean, he's, he's delivered me, set me free, healed me, given me peace of mind and grace. And man, this is awesome, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know what joy juice you're drinking, but that certainly isn't my church. But the ones who get it, get it. And today I want you to get it. Amen. Then there's the third response, the Magi. They simply brought it all. They simply brought it all. And it was a journey. I imagine along the way, I'm sure they had some doubts or what, why are we doing this? Or, you know, what's the purpose? And, but God has purpose in everything. When you give it to Jesus, when you give him your best, he gives you his best. His best is very good. How many you know that? Three responses. What I find interesting about the Tebow thing is that no one can get a... When I, when I listen to the commentators, the, the, they're looking at it from the quarterback perspective. And nobody can explain how this guy with a, with a really slow release, who really shouldn't... It really mechanically is not the epitome of a prototype quarterback, how this guy can just some flat-out win games. It's called the divine influence. People see it on him. You don't think in those locker rooms that they don't hear him talk and they see his actions on the field and when their chips are down, what he's doing? In your office place, people will see how you react to Jesus. Back in uh, 2001 when I was at WBAY, um, uh, when I first came back to the things of God, I experienced all three things that I'm talking about. The first, the first response was, oh, yeah, I got saved again. Well, people in the office looked at me like, what are you, smoking crack? And they were used to me. I mean, I was the type that would, uh, <laughs> I use four-letter words for adjectives. Yeah, I'm going to go get the bleeping milk, you know, and uh, can I pick up some, I mean, I'm not going to cuss, but you, get, you, you following me a little bit here? Anybody ever used four-letter words? I know you haven't. Can we be real? Can we talk? So, I mean, I mean, even in good times, I'm happy. I'm like, I'm using four-letter word adjectives all the time like it's nothing. 
And all of a sudden, one day, uh, you know, as, I, as I'm getting discipled by Jim Otten, actually. Hi, Jim. Uh, that was in, back in 01. And so uh, over a six-month period, the language started to clean up. The people saw that I didn't blow up. I didn't have that incredible temper. Uh, things began to change. And every time I would screw up, I'd say, oh, yeah, I'm so sorry, I repent. Oh, think of how many times I got nailed for that one. I mean, all the time. Yeah, yeah, you go repent to your Jesus. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Well, you're going to experience some of that, folks. But what they saw over time as I, as I owned my mistakes and as I walked it out, like, here's the deal. When you mention Jesus in your workplace, you will get criticized. End of story, ball game, done. But I've watched countless live as I left there, and I've got good friends there to this day. They know I'm, mis- I mean, they, they see my mistakes. They know I'm not perfect. But there was a grace on me, and it came on them, and those people got what they caught what I had. Living my life, not perfectly. In fact, the greatest testimony was when I wasn't winning and I wasn't succeeding like a Tim Tebow when I was in the pit and they saw how I reacted to it. People are going to look to see what your gift is. They're going to see, and you need to unwrap it for the Lord. They need to see how you respond when the chips are down. Now, I want to go to another story because I, I think it brings closure to it. And it's at the end uh, of Jesus' journey. I don't have time to go into all of them, but there's four accounts in the gospel. Four accounts in the gospel of an anointing of Jesus. Uh, One for the head, one for the feet. Uh, I I don't have time to get to it, but one of them I'll describe first is in John, uh, the the gospel of John. I believe it's chapter 12. And Mary, of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus fame, she anoints Jesus. It's a really expensive perfume and oil and uh, Judas is in a kerfuffle all on it because he's like, ah, oh, you, you know, you could have sold that for the poor, which Judas didn't care because he was the thief and he just, he just wanted to pilfer the treasurer box. So you have this deal where Mary brings her best, lays it at Jesus and, and, and anoints him with the best and the, and the first. And she, she, she's just loving on him. That's one example. And then the narrative that I want to read you today, because it just, it just hit me when I was studying this. It hit me when I was studying this, the response that this woman had. The, the, the absolute surrender, the lordship. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Christopher Hitchens, how many of you heard of him? I, I posted a little bit of a thing on my Facebook page. But Christopher Hitchens is a well-known atheist. He wrote a book called God is Not Great. Sad. Died this week. Sad. Attacking Christians. Sad. And, and, I, and, I, and I realized that here was a man who had brilliant intellect, brilliant written skills, and he used it for sewage because he didn't know the grace of Jesus because he had a head full of the biblical arguments, but he didn't have a relationship with the risen Savior. I believe if we're not bleeding for people like that, if we're not actively out there unloading our transparency with people for a lost and dying world, then why are we here? It's why we do what we do. And Jesus is more. Jesus is more than just our sin management. He is life. And he's a good life. Uh, I'm not going to get into it today, but I was actually studying... uh, 
for next week for Christmas Eve. And God gave me some some revelation about the words grace and peace, which I'll talk about uh, next week. But I see so many people who lack peace. They lack they don't have the favor of God on their lives and they can have it. Do you realize you can have it? Grace is the divine influence. It's an empowerment. It's an empowerment. It's unmerited favor. That's an aspect of it. But wherever you go, Jesus is when you have him. Apathy is something that we have to look at. But here's Luke, verse, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to dine with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the town who was an especially wicked sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, perfume. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet affectionately and anointed them with the ointment perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if he were a prophet, he would surely know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a notorious sinner, a social outcast devoted to sin. And Jesus replying said to him, Simon, I've got something to say to you. And he answered, teacher, say it. A certain lender of money at interest had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had no means of paying, he freely forgave them both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I take it for whom he forgave and canceled more. And Jesus said to him, you have decided correctly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to to Simon, do you see this woman? When I came into your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Pause. In that culture, Jesus wore sandals that walked through animal stuff. Think about that. Animal stuff. Walking through it, dirty. And she's wiping it. Didn't, didn't put him in the water beforehand because Simon didn't offer it to him. This woman is wiping it with her hair. With her tears. Two responses to Jesus as we see it. You gave me no kiss, but from the moment I came in has not ceased intermittently to kiss my feet tenderly and caressingly. You didn't anoint my head with cheap, ordinary oil, but she has anointed my feet with costly, rare perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, many as they are, are forgiven her because she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who are at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? But Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go enter into peace. And here's the expounded word for peace in freedom from distresses that are experienced as a result of sin. Our world is hurting from sin. Newsflash. They're distressed because of sin. And we have a gospel that we're not fully preaching. We're teaching get out of hell when Jesus said, I came to give you life here now abundantly. It starts here and goes to eternity. Man, that's good news to me. When I got a hold of that revelation, you mean I can live large and in charge with Jesus here? Yeah. We're the head, not the tail. Oh, but wait a minute. Pastor Ryan, Pastor Ryan, Pastor Ryan. Look around, there's things, 
There's problems. There's poverty. There's sickness. There's disease. There's lack. How can you preach such good news? How dare you? I'm sure Jesus heard that too. Good news is good news. Here's the good news. You don't have to have lack in any facet of your life. Hello? Because you are the head, whether you like it or not. You're, the ta- you're not the tail anymore. Here's the response that I want you to get in here and look at this very, very closely because it's key. Is that she didn't go to Jesus' feet because she had to. She went to his feet because she wanted to. She gave her best. She gave her first. She gave it all. The widow's might gave it all. Elijah and the widow, the widow who had nothing, gave it all. And everything Jesus touched, he multiplies. A couple of fishes and loaves, he multiplies it. Everything you give Jesus comes back and more. Bring it to him. Don't be on the sidelines like a Pharisee inviting Jesus into your home, but you don't invite him into your heart. There were people that are around Jesus. There's people antagonistic to Jesus. And there's people at the feet of Jesus. I want to be a worshiper. Give it all. But say, Pastor Ryan, there's a lot of fear that goes with that. Jesus gave us peace. I'm going to expound on that next week. But there's a fullness to peace that I didn't even see until this morning. And that's a teaser, by the way. You have to come back next week to get that. But so why the pushback? Why, why don't they? Well, there's, there's really, there's, there's, there's the question of, okay, well, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I enter in? Well, first of all, we're afraid. We don't know what we can do if we give everything to Jesus. And lordship is not just submission. It's just, it's being, it's giving yourself to a divine authority, Jesus, and walking as he walks, doing as he does. It's not oppression, but the enemy has sold us a bit of goods that if we give him our time, our talents, our resources, and our heart, that we won't rule and reign. Let me tell you something. You're above your problems. Those mindsets have got to go right now in Jesus' name. Amen? Here's the questions. Why don't people bring their best to Jesus? Why don't they unwrap their best gift? Because they're afraid of what people will say. They're afraid of what God might ask me to do. And we don't think it's enough. Oh, God, all the guts, a few fishes and loaves. I don't know what to do. (laughs) I don't know what to do. Give it to Jesus. Everywhere I see in the New Testament, follow it. It's amazing, fascinating study. Just go to look up what people's resource brought to Jesus. And just for the record, this isn't just about, I'm not talking just about money, but I am talking that money is a part of it. Amen? God doesn't want, he doesn't need our money. He wants you. He wants your attitude. Let me give you an example. Here's the best illustration about what I'm talking about, bringing your best gift. My daughters, they're artists. Picassos, they give me all the time. Oh, they're, I mean, the crayons are a little off, the lines are a little squiggly, but they come up to me and they put it at my feet. Daddy, here. And I start to bubble up. I'm like, oh. 
best, just sitting at my feet. And then it's followed up with, a, Daddy, I'm dealing with a bully. Really? Let's talk. How much more does your father want you to come to his feet and say, Daddy, I'm dealing with a bully? Really? Let's talk. That's the picture of Jesus you need to have. And I don't want to have to go to his feet and give him lordship. Thank you, Lord. I get to. The divine influence on your heart. You guys getting this? Okay. Last point. Bringing our resource. We look at, we look at Tim Tebow. We look at the culture that we live in. And, and here's what I'm not going to promise you. I'm not going to promise you that you're not going to have problems. You will. And in fact, the moment I actually became authentic for Jesus, my problems increased. I'm not going to lie to you. It did. But the power, the peace, and the joy that I had through those circumstances, guys, I'm not kidding. I mean, I've faced, my wife and I have faced some ridiculous circumstances that would make me cringe 20 years ago, but he gave me power. He gave me grace. He gave me joy. And through that, through that, my life can be a blessing to other people's lives. I realized, finally, I got it. I got it. It's not about me. It's not about you. You know what it's about? Him. And all of a sudden, the decisions you begin to make about a self-ruled life. Herod was antagonistic because he was afraid. He was in fear. He didn't think that a messianic rule over his life would be good. Somewhere, somewhere along the line, for some of you, you have bought a lie that says, if I give God my all, he's going to take away my money, my health, he's going to take away my relationships, and no one's going to like me. Hooey. I like you. God likes you. We have a life-giving church here that will love you up through that. And by the way, just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean you need to be weird. And bark like dogs. We don't need to be weird. We need to be real. We need to have fresh anointing. We need to have power to help people. And then when the chips are down, we're there. And by the way, the pastor can't do it all. Oh, pastor, get me out of a jam. I like life groups because they help the body. You want to have authentic, real church relationships? Get in a group. Let's pray. Father, I come to you right now. You're doing something. I can feel it. I'm asking right now that you impart a decision for each of us. Here's the decision. If there's an area in our life that we're antagonistic towards your lordship. I'm asking right now that you begin to deal with that. If we're only bringing some of our resource, maybe we're bringing our time to Jesus, but we're not giving our talents. Maybe we're giving our, we're showing up at church, we're at the altar, but we're not kissing his feet. Maybe we're, maybe we're uh, bringing our resource, but that's it. We've checked out, there's nothing else. Here's a few tips, God, have it, that's it. no. He wants it all. He'll multiply that, by the way. Just give it to him. Or maybe, maybe, 
Maybe it's a, a reputation that you're afraid of. You're in a business deal and bi- dealing with business people that it would, you're, you're afraid because you know it might cost you some, some money interim-wise. Well, if that's the case, then that's Lord over you. Jesus isn't. I can't tell you that you're not going to face it uh, and, and not have to lead through it. But you, you may have to. I know that defining moments in our life challenge us to rise above and lead where no one wants to go. And in those moments, God's grace is with you. You have to make a decision to give Jesus your best and your first gift. And he wants you. The gift is you, all of you. If you're dealing with lordship and you're antagonistic because of fear, I want you to raise your hand. I don't care what area it is. Raise it now. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lordship is not oppressive when it's in Christ. It's freedom. Here's another one. If you're afraid of your relationship with heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're afraid, and I need you to be gut level honest here. We've all faced it, but some of you need to purge yourself of this and just be honest about it. You say, I'm afraid in my marketplace, in my offices, of even uttering the name of counseling someone or being there for them. I'm afraid because it may cost me. It may cost me. I want you to uh, raise your hand now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to pray that this message get down deep. Lord, I, I, gave the, I gave them my best on this message. Now I ask that you multiply it in their hearts. That, they, that it really would transform their Mondays. That they can be real. They don't need to be weird and wacky. They can just be themselves and enjoy people. Relax. But they can begin to open doors. They can ask for open doors. That all of a sudden, this divine grace comes on over them. And everything they touch begins to multiply. People flock to them. They don't even know why. And open doors. Where the gospel was once closed, they see, hey, Mr. So-and-so, hey, Mrs. So-and-so, I see something. Can we talk? Open those doors for them. Smash the door of fear and release your people to be the church. In Jesus' name, heads bowed, eyes closed. This is the biggest question. Where are you at with lordship? It's a simple question. If you have not received Christ and made him Lord of your life, he's a great God. Maybe you've backslid and slide on back. I don't know. Into his loving arms. Daddy, I'm yours. You say, Ryan, I, uh, I don't know if I were to die today, would I go to heaven? It's a good question. I'm sure Christopher Hitchens asked that question. I honestly don't know. He lived a life full of anti-God. But here's what I know. My God, even in his dying breath, if he acknowledged that Jesus was Lord, he could have been saved. I don't know where Christopher Hitchens is today, but I know where I'm going. I'm 100% certain because I have a relationship with Jesus. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You say... I need to do that. I need to get it right and give my life to the Lord. If you haven't done that, please raise your hand right now. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray this prayer. Father in heaven, 
Thank you for your best gift. And now I give you my best gift, my life. I thank you for giving my sins and empowering me to live for you every day. In Jesus' name, amen.